Chapter Four of Hunter Patrol by H. Beam Piper and John McGuire. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. He used a knife to slice the envelope open without untaping it from the box, and exposed five sheets of typewritten onion skin paper. There was no letterhead, no salutation or address line, just a mass of chemical formulae and a concise report on tests. It seemed to be a report on an improved syrup for a carbonated soft drink. There were a few cryptic cautionary references to heightened psychopsychological effects. The box was opened with the same caution, but it proved as innocent of dangers as the envelope. It contained only a half-liter bottle, wax-sealed, containing a dark reddish-brown syrup. "'There's a lot of this stuff I don't dig,' Benson said, tapping the sheets of onion skin. I don't even scratch the surface of this rigmarole about the guide. I'm going to get to work on this sample in the lab at school, though. Maybe we have something here." At eight-thirty the next evening, after four and a half hours' work, he stopped to check what he had found out. The school's X-ray, an excellent one, had given him a complete picture of the molecular structure of the syrup. There were a couple of long-chain molecules that he could only believe after two re-examinations and a careful check of the machine, but with the help of the notes he could deduce how they had been put together. They would be the ingredient alpha and the ingredient beta referred to in the notes. The components of the syrup were all simple and easily procurable, with these two exceptions, as were the basic components from which these were made. The mechanical guinea-pig demonstrated that the syrup contained nothing harmful to human tissue. Of course, there were the warnings about heightened psychopsychological effects. He stuck a poison label on the bottle, locked it up, and went home. The next day he and Bill Myers got a bottle of carbonated water and mixed themselves a couple of drinks of it. It was delicious—sweet, dry, tart, sour—all of these in alternating waves of pleasure. "'We do have something, Bill,' he said. We have something that's going to give our income tax experts headaches." "'You have,' Myers corrected. Where do you start fitting me into it? We're a good team, Bill. I'm a chemist, but I don't know a thing about people. You're a psychologist. A real one. Not one of these night school boys. A juvenile psychologist, too. And what age group spends the most money in this country for soft drinks? Knowing the names of these syrups' ingredients, and what their molecular structure was like, was only the beginning. Gallon after gallon of the school board's chemicals went down the laboratory sink. Fred Benson and Bill Myers almost lived in the fourth-floor lab. Once or twice there were head-shaking warnings from the principal about the dangers of overwork. The watchman, at all hours, would hear the occasional twanging of Benson's guitar in the laboratory, and know that he had come to a dead end on something, and was trying to think. Football season came and went basketball season, the inevitable riot between McKinley and Eisenhower rooters, the spring concerts. The term-end exams were only a month away when Benson and Myers finally did it, and stood solemnly, each with the beaker in either hand, and took alternate sips of the original, and the drink mixed from the syrup they had made. "'Not a bit of difference, Fred,' Myers said. "'We have it.' Benson picked up the guitar and began plunking on it. "'Hey!' Myers exclaimed. "'Have you been finding time to take lessons on that thing? I never heard you play as well as that.' 
they decided to go into business in St. Louis. It was centrally located, and being behind more concentric circles of radar and counter-rocket defenses, it was in better shape than any other city in the country, and most likely to stay that way. Getting started wasn't hard. The first banker who tasted the new drink named Every Flave, at Meyer's suggestion, couldn't dig up the necessary money fast enough. Every Flave hit the market with a bang and became an instant success. Soon the rainbow-tinted venting machines were everywhere, dispensing the slender, slightly flattened bottles and devouring quarters voraciously. In spite of high taxes and the difficulties of doing business in a consumer's economy upon which a wartime economy had been superimposed, both Myers and Benson were rapidly becoming wealthy. The gregarious Myers installed himself in a luxurious apartment in the city. Benson bought a large tract of land down the river towards Carondelet and started building a home and landscaping the grounds. The dreams began bothering him again, now that the urgency of getting every flave incorporated started at ease. They were not dreams of the men he had killed in battle, or except for one about a huge hot-smelling tank with a red star on the turret about the war. Generally they were about a strange, beautiful office-room in which a young man in uniform killed an older man in a plum-brown coat and a vivid blue neck-scarf. Sometimes Benson identified himself with the killer, sometimes with the old man who was killed. He talked to Myers about these dreams, but beyond generalities, about delayed effects of combat fatigue and vague advice to relax, the psychologist, now head of sales and promotion of every flave incorporated, could give him no help. The war ended three years after the new company was launched. There was a momentary faltering of the economy and then the work of reconstruction was crying hungrily for all the labor and capital that had been idled by the end of destruction, and more. There was a new flood-tide of prosperity, and every flave rode the crest. The estate at Carondelet was finished, a beautiful place, surrounded with gardens, fragrant with flowers, full of the songs of birds and soft music from concealed record-players. It made him forget the ugliness of the war, and kept the dreams from returning so frequently. All the world ought to be like that, he thought, beautiful and quiet and peaceful. People surrounded with such beauty couldn't think about war. All the world could be like that, if only— The U.N. chose St. Louis for its new headquarters. Many of its offices had been moved there after the second and most destructive bombing of New York and when the city by the Mississippi began growing into a real world capital, the flow of money into it almost squared overnight. Benson began to take an active part in politics in the New World Sovereignty Party. He did not, however, allow his political activities to distract him from the work of expanding the company to which he owed his wealth and position. There were always things to worry about. I don't know, Myers said to him one evening, as they sat over a bottle of rye in the psychologist's apartment. I could make almost as much money practicing as a psychiatrist these days. The whole world seems to be going pure, unadulterated nuts. That affair in Munich, for instance. Yes, Benson grimaced as he thought of the affair in Munich, a Wagnerian concert which had terminated in an insane orgy of mass suicide. 
Just a week after we started our free sample campaign in South Germany, too. He stopped short, downing his drink and coughing over it. Bill, you remember those sheets of onion skin in that envelope? The foundation of our fortunes. I wonder where you really did get that. Fred! His eyes widened in horror. That caution about heightened psychopsychological effects that we were never able to understand? Benson nodded grimly. And think of all the crazy cases of mass hysteria. That baseball game ride in Baltimore. The time everybody started tearing off each other's clothes in Milwaukee. The sex orgy in New Orleans. And the sharp uptrend in individual psychoneurotic and psychotic behavior. All in connection with music, too. And all after every flave got on the market. We'll have to stop it. Pull every flave off the market, Myers said. We can't be responsible for letting this go on. We can't stop, either. There's at least a two-month supply out in the hands of jobbers and distributors over whom we have no control. And we have all these contractual obligations to buy the entire output of the companies that make the syrup for us. If we stop buying, they can sell it in competition with us, as long as they don't infringe our trade name. And we can't prevent pirating. You know how easily we were able to duplicate that sample I brought back from Turkey. Why, our legal departments kept busy all the time prosecuting unlicensed manufacturers as it is. We've got to do something, Fred. There was almost a whiff of hysteria in Myers's voice. We will. We'll start first thing tomorrow on a series of tests. Just you and I, like the old times at Eisenhower High. First we want to make sure that every flave really is responsible. It'd be a hell of a thing if we started a public panic against our own product for nothing. And then— It took just two weeks, in a soundproofed and guarded laboratory at Benson's Carondelet Estate, to convict their delicious drink of responsibility for that Munich State Opera House horror and everything else. Reports from confidential investigators in Munich confirmed this. It had, of course, been impossible to interview the two thousand men and women who had turned the Opera House into a pyre for their own immolation, but none of the tiny minority who had kept their sanity and saved their lives had tasted every flave. It took another month to find out exactly how the stuff affected the human nervous system, and they almost wrecked their own nervous systems in the process. The real villain, they discovered, was the incredibly-looking long-chain compound alluded to in the original notes as ingredient beta. Its principal psychological effect was to greatly increase the sensitivity of the oral nerves. Not only was the hearing range widened, after consuming thirty cc of beta, they could hear the sound of an ultrasonic dog-whistle quite plainly, but the very quality of all audible sounds was curiously enhanced and altered. Myers, the psychologist, who was also well grounded in neurology, explained how the chemical produced this effect. It meant about as much to Benson as some of his chemistry did to Bill Myers. There was also a secondary, purely psychological effect. Certain musical chords had definite effects on the emotions of the hearer, and the subject, besides being directly influenced by the music, was rendered extremely open to verbal suggestions, accompanied by a suitable musical background. Benson transferred the final results of this stage of the research to the black notebook and burned the scratch sheets. "'That's how it happened, then,' he said. 
The Munich thing was the result of all that Götterdämmerung music. There was a band at the baseball park in Baltimore. The New Orleans orgy started while a local radio station was broadcasting some of this new dance music. Look, these tone clusters here have a definite sex excitation effect. This series of six chords, which occur in some of the Wagnerian stuff, effect a combined feeling of godlike isolation and despair. And these consecutive fifths, a sense of danger, anger, combativeness, you know, we could work out a whole range of emotional stimuli to fit the effects of ingredient beta. We don't want to, Myers said. We want to work out a substitute for beta that will give the flavor of the drink without the psychopsychological effects. Yes, sure. I have some of the boys at the plant working on that. Gave them a lot of syrup without beta, and told them to work out cheap additives to restore the regular every flave taste told them it wasn't an effort to find a cheap substitute for an expensive ingredient. But look, Bill, you and I both see, for instance, that a powerful, worldwide, supranational sovereignty is the only guarantee of world peace. If we could use something like this to help overcome antiquated verbal prejudices and nationalistic emotional attachments— No, Meyer said. I won't ever consent to anything like that, Fred not even in a cause like world peace. Use a thing like this for good, almost holy cause now, and tomorrow we, or those who would come after us, would be using it to create a tyranny. You know what year this is, Bill? Why, 1984, Benson said. Yes. You remember that old political novel of Orwell's, written about forty years ago? Well, that's a picture of the kind of world you'd have, eventually, no matter what kind of world you started out to make. Fred, don't ever think of using this stuff for a purpose like that. If you try it, I'll fight you with every resource I have." There was a fanatical, almost murderous look in Bill Myers's eyes. Benson put the notebook in his pocket, then laughed and threw up his hands. "'Hey, Joe! Hey, Joe!' he cried. "'You're right, of course, Bill.' We can't even trust the U.N. with a thing like this. It makes the H-bomb look like a stone hatchet. Well, I'll call Grant at the plant lab and see how his boys are coming along with the substitute. As soon as we get it, we can put out a confidential letter to all our distributors and syrup manufacturers." He walked alone in the garden at Carondelet, watching the color fade out of the sky and the twilight seep in among the clipped yews. All the world could be like this garden, a place of peace and beauty and quiet, if only— All the world would be a beautiful and peaceful garden. In his own lifetime, he had the means of making it so. End of chapter 4